Welcome back. This is the second issue of the Boxing Six podcast. I am your host, Danilo Jose de Hoya. And I'm very excited that we're back here on this journey. So, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Uh, the general goal of this podcast is just to talk about the league itself as well as, you know, a slight emphasis on the Milwaukee Bucks because that's the team I go for. Anyway, let's get right into it. So, the take of the day for this episode is Jordan Nwora will play meaningful minutes this season. So what I mean by this is I think early in the season, uh, I expect him to get some good runs in. And I think depending on how he does defensively, that will be the big determining factor for later in the season. However, I think the main things I want to see for him now is that he gets actual rest. Because if you think about it, he went from the NBA Finals, flying straight to the Olympics, then flying all the way back to the States for Summer League. So he's just been like playing ball from, shoot, probably like October of last year to first few weeks of August. So I think he's definitely experiencing like at least a little bit of burnout. So I think it'd be nice for him to get actual rest. Aside from that, uh, main thing I want to see from Jordan Nawara would be for him to focus on trying to play more 3 and D rather than being a complete player. Uh, when I was watching Summer League, what I noticed was that he was very reckless when he wasn't focusing on scoring and overall was still somewhat of a de- defensive liability. However, I will say I think one of the main ways that we can see him improve of that is to just flat out that age-old saying, throw him in the fire. But in terms of this season, which is the main focus of uh, this episode, I expect Coach Bud and the Bucks themselves to rest a lot more, just since prior to this, the longest the Bucks have ever gone to was obviously the Eastern Conference Final, and now that they've been to the finals and they've won it, they realize, you know, they realize what it takes and how the season itself is such a marathon. So I think they're going to do a lot of more resting. And because of that, that'll leave rooms for the younger players like Jordan Nawara and uh, some of the other guys that I'll talk about later to really get some runs in as well as, you know, kind of establish a rhythm in the league. So in terms of the foundation that Nawara sort of started out here in his first year in the league, last year he averaged about six points, but it was on pretty good splits. 45.9% from the field, 45.2% from three. And 76% from free throws, but that's okay. What I do want to talk about, though, you guys already know. 45.2% from three, very nice. But I don't want to overreact too much just because this is only based on about a 30-game sample size, which he started to. If I remember, I forgot which team it was against, but I think it was his first start. He was draining, like, Steph Curry and Dame-length threes. It was crazy. So, in terms of what I want to see for him and projecting his stats for this year I think that he'll be able to average around 8 to 10 points on similar splits and that would be I think the the floor I think the ceiling would be if he does improve defensively and shows that he can be a nice 3 and D wing I think even in the realm of a solid 10 to 12 points I think a solid 10 to 12 points is what I would say his ceiling is this year however we'll see what happens because There are a lot of uncertain things happening around the league. From all that sort of rambling and focusing on a second round pick who I think really has some crazy potential, I believe Jordan Warrior will play meaningful minutes this year. I don't think he'll have as many 
thrown in garbage time points where the game's already, the fate of the game is already sealed. But yeah, I'm excited and I really, really, really believe that Noir can be one of those next, uh, one of those next second round picks that carves out a pretty solid career. Because I have so much faith in him, I'm going to give him a guarantee. With that, let's move on to the next part of today. So before we sort of reflect on how this season's going to go, let's reflect on the finals round. Overall, it is the single greatest sport moment of my life. Now, like I said before in the first episode, I used to be a big hockey fan. And the Canucks have been in the finals once in my lifetime. I know they've been there twice. However, they've lost both times. And I remember literally as soon as they lost Game 7, that's kind of what Vancouver is known for in terms of the, in terms of sports and how we're covered in sports, I find. We've, we always come off as, I think, passionate fans and sometimes overly passionate as we see with some of the riots that have happened because our sports teams have lost. However, I wholly believe that Vancouver is still such a good ground to have a basketball team. Obviously, I think places like Las Vegas and Seattle are going to get theirs first. However, fingers crossed, one day I think Vancouver will have basketball again. Anyways, <laughs> off that little tangent. So, game one. Definitely had some nerves for myself, and I could see off the players. And I think I really saw that because the Bucks didn't come in with that same oomph. I think a lot of that really stemmed from the fact that we were coming off a conference finals that many did not expect to go to Game Six. However, Bucks and Six always in Game One. We really saw Giannis testing out his knee. Still had a crazy stat line for a man whose knee went backwards. Holy! But I think. Chris was a bright spot for the game as well. Drew was a tad bit disappointing along with the bench. However, Game 1 of the 2021 NBA Finals had the most impressive block, I think, since LeBron's Game 7 in a Finals. But either way, they still lost, so can't uh, dwell on that too much. Overall, I wasn't worried. I honestly expected Milwaukee to drop Game 1 just based on the fact that their top, top guy is coming off an injury as well as... I don't think any, yeah, this was like the first finals where, I could be wrong, but I believe this was the first finals where everyone on the team, except Jay Crowder, like on both teams, had no finals experience prior. But either way, uh, in terms of the Phoenix Suns, gotta give them their props. CP3 was playing like the generational player he is. Devin Booker was a demon, even though he struggled with the three ball. And overall, Phoenix definitely deserved to win game one. Game two now. Giannis came to play. Like, what What hyperextended me? However, despite this, obviously they lost. And this birthed the, I think, the infamous Giannis moment of him yelling. Similar to how we had that outburst from Steph Curry earlier in the season. And I don't blame him, because game two, they came out pretty flat as well. The rest of the starters had a disappointing game scoring-wise. However, I still think they made some pretty good plays. For example, five minutes before the end of the first quarter, the shot clock's winding down. Chris Middleton had the ball, and he was trying to shake Devin Booker. Even though he couldn't shake him, he saw that Jay Crowder was coming to double. And he passed it wide open PJ Tucker. Whew! That resulted in a nice signature PJ Tucker corner three. Connaughton with 14 off the bench was nice. But as I said in the first game, I was not overly worried. We've been in this situation before. Arguably was against the most stacked team in the league and we came up for the better of it. They were in it until the last few minutes of 
the fourth quarter. But the Suns were hooping like champions, man. Like right before halftime, that play where they literally passed the ball 10 times. And they had at least, obviously I didn't play ball like crazy, but in my definition, I think they had about probably three or four decent looking shot because of them passing the ball 10 times they got the best shot which is obviously that deandre jordan and one game three the milwaukee bucks played milwaukee bucks basketball Giannis obviously became the sixth player to put up back-to-back 40 pieces he literally looked like a demigod on 2k and overall we had good games from the starters uh, the highlighted play would definitely be that transition dunk by bobby off the block by drew or went between like Drew to Chris, then to Bobby. And also Cameron Johnson fucking baptized PJ Tucker, man. Not even just that, but literally I think the play right after he had that Dr. J style layup that was nasty. He was like behind the backboard and still got that up. Whew. Despite all those crazy plays, Milwaukee finally played their kind of basketball, which I think was great. Game four, cash money Middleton. <laughs> I am sorry for ever slanting you, Chris Middleton. I love you. I honestly think you're one of, if not the most underrated players in the league. Not even saying that as a Bucks fan, but just overall. But aside from that, another crazy honest block. The one where Chris Paul's trying to lob it up. DeAndre Aiden. It literally looks like he's about to baptize Giannis as well, but boom, he made that stop. And this was one of the two most important plays, or like literally top five most important plays throughout the whole finals, Drew Holiday's steal. However, super happy the Bucks won, but if the Suns won that game, I would have been fucking tilted because Booker, David Booker would have been like the first player to finish a game with like 10 or 9 fouls, but yeah. It is what it is. Even though the Bucks were down going into the fourth, it felt very different from games one and two. Uh, there seemed to be more bite to them despite being down, I feel. And obviously, they would come to win that game four. All right, now when it comes to game five, that was by far, I think, the greatest atmosphere I've ever been in in terms of a finals game ever, honestly. So, the homie's house, he's also a Suns fan. If you're listening to this game, hey, bro, all love. But taking the commanding lead there was so nice. The Bucks played very well overall. I think with this game, it wasn't so much Giannis, everyone hop on my back, let's go win this shit. But overall, I don't think one player's performance completely overshadowed the team. But the Bucks are best when they play like this, you know. We had 25 plus from each of the big three, which was very spicy. Drew Holiday. This was literally, I think, the most important play of the entire finals. Obviously, you had Drew Holiday with the steal, which turned into the transition into the greatest play of the entire finals run. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. It's that one where Drew Holiday rips Chris Paul. And even though there's a lot of time on the clock, just extended that shit all the way to Giannis. And he was probably the only person in the league, except him and maybe LeBron James, I think could have caught that lob, to be honest. Just with all the factors, you know, how fast everyone's going, and I guess how high pressure and how much... Yeah, just overall, Giannis is one of the very few people that could have actually caught that, in my opinion. But I think, aside from that, Booker's back-to-back 40-piece, I didn't even realize. But before recording this, I looked it up. He's also the first player to lose both those games in that whole list of... Or not whole list, because it's only six or seven players now, including Giannis and Booker, to have the back-to-back 40-pieces. He's the first guy to lose both games. But I think with Devin Booker, you tried way too much to play hero ball. 
However, I don't blame him as all his teammates were playing like, you know, absolute cheeks when he was doing that. With game six, literally the whole reason this podcast exists, uh, I knew Milwaukee was winning after the first quarter. Phoenix came out really flat, as well as the whole Scott Foster thing. He's still undefeated against Chris Paul, but all jokes aside, I think that was a really shitty choice by the league, to be honest, because, you know, regardless of if you believe in skeptics or not, I think the fact that that's even a factor that people are pointing out provides just, I think, a mental edge for Milwaukee over Phoenix. Regardless, I'm sure that Chris Paul is not factoring that in as much as like we'd expect, but I just think that putting Scott Foster on that game was a bad choice by the league, but you know, I don't get paid to make those choices. But Giannis solidified that there's no doubt that he's a Hall of Famer. I think obviously the two MVPs already do that. However, if someone were to be like, Oh, his stats weren't that good or whatever. He still can't shoot for shit. He still has that ring. So I think with the 2021 championship, Giannis has. He's already done it, but he's just put more reason for there not to be any doubt that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Game 6 was just so nice. It was such an amazing experience to watch that, that we played ball after. And I got chirped at by some homies because... Or not by some homies, by some like random dudes at the park because I was wearing a Giannis shirt. And then we literally just hooped right after. But aside from that, looking back on everything in terms of this finals run, this was definitely the best Giannis era roster the Bucks have had, I think. Past rosters just haven't had reliability to the level that we have with this roster. And Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are flat out the most underrated players in the league. Giannis is the greatest European in NBA history, accolades-wise. Still has a bit of a mark to make culturally, I think, before we can even consider him being as good as Dirk. Back on to the fact that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, I think, are the most underrated players in the entire league. Drew Holiday, the best perimeter guard in the league. I don't fucking count Ben Simmons as a guard. That dude's literally 6'10", and he came in as a power forward, but they moved him to a guard, sort of like LeBron. But that's a whole nother thing. I'll, I don't know where he's going, but but Drew Holiday is... There's not even anyone I think you can compare or even in the realm of Drew Holiday's ability to guard the perimeter, at least in my opinion. <laughs> Chris Middleton. He's literally just a season for move from almost going 50-40-90. However, I understand why they're always like overlooked. Both can be very inconsistent and streaky. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday had probably the two most important plays in the entire finals run. First one would be Chris Middleton with that game one, game winner, midi overtime against Miami. I think even though that was only the first round, that really just set the tempo for this whole finals run. And yeah, I'm very excited for what this season has in store for the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's get on to where the roster stands. Now, before I say anything about where our roster is at, I just got to give Coach Budenholder his flowers, man. I respect the fuck out of that man now. That dude is literally... Like, Coach Bud is literally like Phil Jackson when he's up against the wall on facing elimination. It's crazy. Or just in a tight corner. But, yeah, I think Mike Budenholzer definitely defeated all the narratives that he's had. That he's had placed on him throughout his time at Milwaukee. 
But obviously, we see how he was able to bring us a championship as well as get an extension that Coach Bud is legit. You know, he comes from that uh, coaching tree of Greg Popovich, who is undoubtedly the greatest coach of all time, in my opinion. But yeah, Coach Bud, you're the fucking man. So yeah, just before we get into more of the roster, just want to give my flowers to Coach Bud because I appreciate the fuck out of that man. Okay, anyways, so... In terms of players who have uh, departed the Bucks, we have Brynn Forbes who moved to San Antonio. No idea what they're doing there. Trying to compete, but also, I don't know. PJ Tucker moved to Miami. Can't blame him. Miami seems like a nice play, but just know he's getting all the smoke if they meet again in the playoffs. Sam Merrill, our old man rookie, <laughs> who's like 24, I think. Obviously got traded to Memphis so that we got Grayson Allen, which was a big W of a trade in my opinion. At this time, the players that are still free agents, we have Jeff Teague, Justin Jackson, and Axel Tupain. I think out of all of them, Jeff Teague is probably the most likely to come back, but even that's I'm not entirely sure. Alright, so I'm not one to really get into draft prospects before they've played. However, this is the year where I think I really paid attention to prospects. Like this is my first time where I really paid attention to March Madness and stuff like that. And I think it's all led to, uh, I think I'm definitely gonna tune into college basketball this year. I'm going for UCLA, cause Johnny Juzang's my guy. But anyways, the draft. I think despite not even having a first round pick, we picked up pretty solid guys, I would think. I mean, I only really watched them for summer league and even that's like, I think a lot of people tend to overplay that because we've had players who've killed it in Summer League and flopped in the league as well as people who, you know, sucked ass in the Summer League. Like, for example, Trey Young, I think, is a big one. Obviously, no one's labeling Trey Young as a bust anytime soon or ever, for that matter. What am I saying? The 54th pick. We got our, honestly, I think he could be like our next big man. Sandro Mamu Kelishvili. AKA Mamu! But yeah, he's a 6'11 power forward. Actually, not really power forward. I think he's mainly play center, but just because he contributes to that evolving narrative of positionless basketball where you more so just have five guys who can do a mix of everything or, you know, specialize in one area. But, you know, anyways, he signed a two way contract. However, I think he will definitely, depending on how he does in camp as well as earlier in the year, I think he'll definitely be bumped up to having a fully guaranteed contract. He is a Montverde. Academy alumni. If you guys don't know some of the other players who've come out of there, got Cade Cunningham, first pick. Precious Achua, gonna be a good standout on the Raptors this year, I think. RJ Barrett, Canada's very own. Joel Embiid could definitely, if he stays healthy this year, I think he could have another one of those MVP finalist kind of years. D'Angelo Russell, you know, the man that's never snitched, you know, always the most loyal guy in the room. <laughs> and finally, Ben Simmons. At least those are the most notable ones that I thought of. But other than that, he's also coming off of being the Big East Player of the Year. I think he's a marketing gem because I think the city of Milwaukee, especially from what I've seen on like Bucks Twitter, Mamu. That's like <laughs> he's just uh, he's just another one of those players I think that embodies what it means to be a Milwaukee Buck, and I think he'll definitely contribute eventually. I don't know about this year, considering the the stakes, but we'll see. Now, when I said summer league people tend to overhype i saw like you know mommy was out there balling i think aside from just doing your regular big man roles like rebounding defending the paint stuff like that i saw like this is super super early and a big big stretch but i got like baby Jokic vibes you know he was playmaking i mean in the post he had a decent turnaround 
didn't hit too many times, but it hit a couple. And I think that shot alone is something that not a lot of players are super comfortable taking, and he looked very comfortable taking that. But yeah, I just saw that his game, uh, I really don't want to say it, but yeah, again, gave me like baby Jokic vibes, but we'll see what happens when he plays against, you know, the big guys. For the final pick of the draft, we drafted Georgie Kalitzakis, but either way, he's a 6'7 wing. He's declared for the draft twice already, back in 2018 and 2020, but obviously withdrew his name. Uh, he was signed to a regular like three-year deal, I believe, from what I've was able to research because he had to be bought out from his Greece team but I think he's another player that I mean think about the last time the Milwaukee Bucks took a flyer on a Greek player turned out pretty well if you ask me but either way uh Georgie's coming in with a lot of experience you know EuroLeague international play and from what I was watching of like his game nice little dual threat can drive and shoot the basketball I think that's something that uh, especially farther down the Milwaukee Bucks rotation we really lacked that leads into the next part, our acquisitions, the guys that through trades, buyouts, stuff like that, able to pick up some pretty solid dudes. So first guy, Grayson Allen, the cleanest player. <laughs> sorry. The cleanest player in the league. If you can believe. Okay, no, sorry. Let me ditch that. So Grayson Allen, 6'4 guard. Last year, he had like a really good year. Had a career year. Uh, averaging 10 points on 40% from three. Whew and 87% from the line. I think those are just mwah, mwah, beautiful numbers. But with Grayson Allen, he gives ability to create our own shots, which I think makes him an upgrade over Bryn Forbes because Bryn Forbes was very much, he could do what he does good, but I think a lot of his game was reliant on catch and shoots and not really catch the ball, watch me go to work and watch me peace out this dude. But yeah, Grayson Allen, I'm super excited to have him on the team. Ronnie Hood, 6'8 wing, you know, had some bright spots throughout his career. He's had stretches where he was like literally unstoppable. But then I think overall, the, his narrative has been kind of barred with injuries and stuff like that. However, I think he's still a very solid player and has a chance to contribute to this team. This one, like aside from the Grayson Allen one, I think was definitely my favorite pickup. Got back the man George Hill was there when uh, Milwaukee first started to really pick things up and he's been away for a while but I know I'm hoping that the rest of the Milwaukee fans are super excited to have him back he's obviously a 6'4 guard has shot 51 46 and 84 so missed a few more free throws than he could have to make that exclusive club 50 40 90 but I think despite that he's like pretty old like 34 35 still serviceable especially with the fact that he knows the system I think with him, he played a lot of, uh, honestly, the main playmaker. Because when we had Eric Bledsoe, he was very, like, very much a scoring guard first. But, you know, George Hill was that guy that was able to run the offense, like, make sure people got their rhythm going, stuff like that. Our last pickup, which I thought was pretty solid from, again, the film I watched. If you want to call it film, I just searched up this next guy's, like, highlights, and he was pretty good. Semi Ojale. You know, he's our supposed P.J. Tucker replacement. And from the highlights I saw, like, I understand it. You know, he has good defensive instincts in terms of uh, taking charges. That was a big... <laughs> I think it's pretty funny, but I like it. Yeah, him taking charges was a big part of his highlight tapes. And uh, gets good open looks on the wing. And from what I saw, it wasn't even just strictly corners. I think with P.J., I have no idea what the percentage is, but I would bet good money is at least like high 70s. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's the 90s of like he takes his shots in the corner. But with Semi, I saw him being able to, you know, at least stretch out a bit more on the wings, 
which I think is nice. Overall, I think given how uh, strapped our cap has been and will be <laughs> with all these big contracts we have, uh, we were still able to m become a much better team. You know, I think again, with our bench, like I said earlier, uh, it was obviously a super solid bench, but I think what we lacked was the fact that a lot of these guys, you know, Pat Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, just overall, our bench had a lot of catch and shoot guys. We didn't really have too many guys, I think, that could, if you give them the ball, they're not going to be static. They have that triple threat option of being able to, you know, dribble the ball. Maybe they'll be able to get an open lane, nice drive there. Or even if they want to swing it, stuff like that. But again, the fact that uh, pretty much most of these guys have that ability to not just be stagnant and just be straight catching shooters, even though I think Bud will definitely make them play a bit of that. This Milwaukee Bucks team got way better. Actually, okay, maybe not way better because I don't want to jinx anything, you know, knock on wood, but the Milwaukee Bucks definitely got, definitely upgraded, let's say that. So obviously when you have the incoming roster that we already have, as well as the new acquisitions, you know, we don't know how the rotation is going to be. We don't know what Bud's thinking or whose role is going to be this, whose role is going to be that. So I think uh, the rotation with everyone healthy would look something like, I think Drew's running point. So what I think the rotation looks like with everyone healthy, we have Drew running point, Dante running the two guard, Cash Money running the three, GA running the four, and Brooke running our five. And with a six man of Bobby, as well as a seven to ten, wherever you want to play some whatever, George Hill, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Rodney Hood. But right now, because there's still no uh, timetable from what I've seen on Dante DiVincenzo, however, I wouldn't be surprised if they hold him out for a little bit of the beginning of the season, like maybe the first month, but you know, we'll see. So if that were to happen, I believe they'd run George Hill at the point, Drew at the two, cash money at the three the greek freak at the four and brooke still the center and then uh six man of bobby and the seven to ten i think would be a mix of you know grayson pat robbed and semi so aside from that we got to think about the whole 15 man roster you know who's really going to be there all the way through kind of thing but uh this one's more than that more than the 15 but uh it should be i think these are the kind of names that are going to be in there. So obviously for the one, we have Dante, George Hill, Jeff Teague, I think would re-sign. And again, I don't, man, I hate to say it, but like, no, maybe I do like Summer League a lot in terms of, you know, these are people's potential because at the end of the day, it's still them balling out against the people that are even being considered to make an NBA team. But either way, uh, Demetric Rice had that one last big game without the people who were most likely to make the Milwaukee roster and he balled out. At the two, we obviously got Drew, Pat, Grayson Allen. I think Elijah Bryant's gonna get cut though, I'm not gonna lie. You know, when I did watch him, he was he was I however I think with the guys that we've added, the guys that are already ahead of him, I, I don't know. We'll see. At uh, the three, obviously Cash Money, Rodney Hood, Jordan Noira, and Georgie Kalitzikis. I'll get better at pronouncing that as the season goes on if he gets any play, but yeah, pretty deep at the three. At the four, we got Giannis, and I think just because of how our roster is shaped, I think Mamu's going to be classified as a four, or Bobby would be as well, but in this list I have, I have Mamu at the four, and he's obviously on one of our two-way contracts, and then behind him, we got Simi Ojale. Obviously, that's not how the rotation would look, but that's just how I have it here. Uh, for our... Big men, you know, our fives, the men manning the paint. We obviously got Brooke, 
Bobby and Mamidi Diakite. I hope he gets some nice runs because him and Mamu had a good like two-man game going for a bit of the summer league. But all right, let's predict the season. So uh, pessimistic, aka our floor, I believe we'd be a fourth to fifth seed. A healthy Brooklyn is the most high-powered offense since the 2017 Warriors. 76ers have another solid season, and Joel Embiid is a finalist for MVP. Just because uh, with the whole Ben situation, I'm not going to go into my opinion on it. I'll definitely talk about that later if I get the chance to. But I think him being the guy, he's going to be able... Him already being the guy, but just him getting more and more shots with no Ben could definitely have stellar season but he just needs to stay healthy uh for the hawks they build off their momentum of last season and the healthy celtics play their way into the third seed i oh, mean i know a lot of people are like hating on the celtics because of yeah they did have a disappointing season but mark my words boston celtics are dangerous yo either way uh i think we'd still make it to the conference finals though we'd play against brooklyn again or be the second round but in this scenario, we play Brooklyn in the conference finals. Instead, Katie gets his revenge in a hard-fought Game 7 banger. Uh, the Greek Feeks still going to perform at an MVP level just because I still have him winning MVP this year. But I think he'll be hindered by the fact that he still can't knock down free throws consistently. As well as the league starts to crack down on the 10-second rule because I think the fact that Usain Bolt runs 100 meters faster than it takes Giannis to shoot was like really like well okay yeah you know even the fact that I love the Bucks as much as I do they sh they need to crack down on that just so that Giannis can get out of that habit because if you're going to give him that little extra time even if it is a slightly over 10 seconds you know you got to call that at the end of the day but uh Chris and Drew would have re solid regular seasons but are no shows in the playoff run and Brooke begins to show signs of slowing down. It's coming, what, his year 33 season? But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Hopefully this, I'm wrong about this. You know, knock on wood and all that. He'd average about or slightly below 10 points per game in this scenario. In this scenario. And finally, I don't think the bench would gel well in this situation. However, let's look at the, the optimistic, you know, the ceiling. The most likely scenario, if you ask me. A repeat, baby, obviously. Uh, I think we'd be the second scene in this scenario, just because I think we'll get a good mix of, obviously, the full roster getting their good runs and showing why they are there. But again, I think Bud will start to rest players a lot more. And obviously, I like that because, regardless, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be in the hunt for the playoffs. Like, if they don't, that would be, like, such a big collapse, but we'll see <laughs> let's not let's not say anything but i just don't see them conquering brooklyn in the regular season record wise we'll see what happens opening night but i not that they fully get decked or anything i think they go two and one against brooklyn in the regular season brooklyn is going to take at least one of those games i feel regardless i got Giannis winning his third mvp and second defensive player of the year Whoo! cash money middleton's gonna have his third time or his third all-star appearance drew i think no all-star but first team all defense starts to build this case that you know i'll say it i think he's like the best perimeter and just overall defending guard that i've seen since like gary payton obviously he's not on a level of gary payton in terms of hall of fame right now but drew holiday is like he's that guy <laughs> 
So in terms of the playoffs, the Bucks would sweep the first round and then have a six-game war with Philly just because, you know, that was supposed to be the match to make for the conference finals, but obviously we didn't get that. The conference finals was still fire, though. And now we got another seven-game war with Brooklyn for the conference finals, and then the Bucks would win in dramatic fashion again in a game seven. And this is just like super, super, you know, the ceiling. Again, this is like as good as it could get. So not saying this is going to happen word for word, but perfect case scenario, this is what happens. Bucks have another chance to close out in Milwaukee in a game six in the finals. Giannis solidifies his plays as GOAT European slash even more of a reason to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think if they were to repeat, Chris and Drew for sure, their numbers will be retired one day. But wow, that was a lot to cover. So Let's just break it down like this. My overall feelings for next season. Uh, I believe games with Brooklyn will really be the measuring stick for the feeling in the season, I think. They're right now, especially with Ben Simmons requesting a trade, they're only really two for real, for real contenders. There are definitely more you could throw in there, but there are two like defined ones, obviously with Milwaukee and Brooklyn. It's just the fact that Brooklyn's so high-powered and it's going to be crazy watching their offense work. But again, they'll be the measuring stick for the whole league almost. But regardless of that, they need to remain with that hunter mindset. That was like the only way to make a deep run in my opinion because we've seen like when the pressure's on them, they haven't performed, you know, but this year they literally said it themselves, this time we're not the hunted, we're the hunters. And that was just like, yo, fuck yeah, let's do this shit. Like staying in that same mindset is the best possibility for them to really make this repeat a reality. But... <laughs> Aside from that, I think they'll definitely rest the big three more just because they've seen how much of a marathon it truly is. It's amazing how LeBron went to 10 straight finals and missed like minimal games up until that first season with the Lakers. But, you know, c'est la vie. With that, a lot of chances for the young guys like Nuora, Mamu, Diakite, Georgie, all those guys to get good runs just so they're not just slumming around in the G League, constantly picking up DNPs, stuff like that, and just some closing remarks. So, you know, a lot of people are talking about oh, all these injuries this year, Milwaukee wouldn't have won. Well, that might be the truth. We'll never know. Because, you know, regardless of the injuries teams suffered, that's a part of basketball. If you think about it, you could literally put an asterisk next to any NBA champion. I think I read a Reddit post about that. Not think, I definitely did. <laughs> but, I think Milwaukee will, will come with a level of confidence and modesty that makes them fucking dangerous. Their roster core is made up of people who have either been like heavily scrutinized or overlooked. Giannis, obviously, all those narratives of he can't be the number one option, he can't be the guy on a championship winning team, obviously prove that all wrong. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I've already said, in my opinion, not even just off of bias, but obviously people are going to assume this is off of bias. They're the two... If you had like a first team all underrated, they're right in there. Either way, I think this season will be super excited. If you think about it, I don't think there are too many like quote unquote bad teams just because a lot of the teams are super solid. Like in my opinion, I don't I don't want to name them just cuz like I don't want to shit on them, but like I could probably count my fingers on one hand how many I would say bad teams there are. Either way, I appreciate you guys listening in on this week's issue of the Bucks and Six podcast. This has been super exciting. Next week is going to be super cool. We're going to have like a little mini series within the podcast, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. But either way, have a good day. 
Remember, there are a lot of guarantees in life. One of them, though, well, that it will always be Bucks in Six. Have a good one. Yeah, Bucks in Six always. That's, that's for the culture.